0: No more defenses. Our army is wiped out. Artillery, air force,
1: everything wiped out. Maybe be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end. Welcome to media and the end of the world, possibly the end of media and the end of the world. Season one. See, I got you. I thought got, you did. You thought it was over. It's but, but not it, over. It's it,
0: not over. It goes on and on. It's the podcast walks among us all over again.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we wanted to. So, so uh, we both, Ralph and I, have some. Upcoming travel—it's going to keep us away from the halls of Gaylord Hall at the University of Oklahoma. And so, um, rather than saying, you know, you guys are just going to be hanging on, waiting for the next episode, figured we would we would wrap this one up and, and essentially call this season one, bring it to a close, um, you know, and then and then you guys can can wait, wondering, you know, will they or won't they?
0: Well, I can I can guarantee unless we both happen to get hit by trucks, this will continue at some point in the future. Yes. We just haven't completely determined the precise moment.
1: But but we want it to be dramatic, right? Yeah. It's it's, it's got to be like the end in which they don't really know, right? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, there's got to be some kind of
0: like suspenseful cliffhanger the, sort of. Will
1: the relationship rekindle itself at the <laughs> right. beginning of season two? Yeah,
0: is there? Is there? Will there be any world left to save at that point? Will the Will the media have simply tipped over to becoming one giant corporation that just basically makes your food, shows you television, tells you where you're going to work yeah. the next day?
1: Maybe all of our uh, uh, media passes have been revoked. <laughs> all, all credentials gone. <laughs>
0: That's totally scary. So, but I, I I, have a feeling that by the time Iron and Wine plays in Tulsa, that we'll be back. That'd oh, when is guess. that? October 2nd. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm very excited. I think I'm going to try to go. Yeah, we'll definitely I'll be, be like back that.
1: by then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so here's what I wanted to do today amongst other things. And, and this is by no means trying to dictate the conversation, but I thought it'd be helpful. We've, um, so there is sort of a, a an episode zero, but I don't think we've really ever given the sort of inside baseball story of w- where the, the, the germination for this idea really came from. Um, which is really all credit to you for wanting to do this. I wanted to talk about that and, and give that story and then we can re- reflect on, um, what has happened so far with the podcast so um briefly w- you know w- you, this was this was your idea your, It was your yes. grand idea
0: it was yeah. It was the the uh, it was a it's a form. It's a new form of media, podcasting, and I kind of fell in love with it a long time ago, and always wanted to spend much more time listening to it and then time participating in it. And for me, it's kind of a little bit of a throwback to. I don't want to go into a lot of gory historical unimportant details, but um, I was very lucky to have grown up on the southwest side of Chicago in a suburb with not very much money and a very working class area but there were a couple of geniuses at the high school I went to who figured out how to build an FM radio station so when I was a sophomore in high school my brother was a senior in high school we worked on building a radio station and it went on the air when I was a sophomore in high school so basically from that time in 1976 through remember 1976 the year of the bicentennial so uh, for, for many many years through high school through college and a little bit professionally afterwards I worked in radio and I've always loved the form, um, uh, after, then after working in the entertainment industry and in the West Coast for a bit, um, I came back and taught at the place where I went to high school which was really not something I'd ever recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but, but created basically the next generation of radio people. And I just love the form, even though the form itself is kind of, you know, in this quasi somewhat death throw state, which, you know, of course, you never want to condemn a media for it's actually no longer there. But I've always loved... Um, See this is getting into too much detail but I've always well, loved audio forms. Yeah. I love the idea that you can listen to something and the there there are lots of radio pro, things that were produced for radio that are actually like radio dramas or discussions. There's a guy named Joe Frank who used to do a TV series called or a radio series called Joe Frank Work in Progress. And if you look online you can find it he died just a couple of years ago and he did this for a very long time and it was just the most amazing thing because it was like somebody experimenting with what you were listening to and so i've always been excited about the form and and the podcasting world kind of reignited that right and because it brought a whole new audience um a whole new bunch of people who are interested a whole new different set of possibilities of what you could do in the media form that hadn't existed previously you know and there's some there's some bad stuff but there's an awful lot of good stuff
1: it's crazy i I I've never heard that that story of yours and I have a very similar story where the first the first time where I ever showed interest in in some type of profession was being a disc jockey and my parents bought me uh, a little mixer you know and a couple disc players that allowed me to basically go to like you know family parties and and, and DJ the party itself um, and that was the first thing I ever thought of as a potential job for myself and then my high school senior year um, I worked for, well, I was a student for um, basically uh, the local public access channel, you know, so the high school had access oh, to a channel on yep. there and it was a very similar deal, right? Uh, you've got a, a limited amount of audience, but you, f- you feel way cool in your ability to kind of speak to the world. Um, and it was taught by a uh, who was our women's basketball coach, so he didn't, you know, care at all what was going on the air. I mean, it was it was sort of a current events class, but it was really, you know, me and a, and a and less than a handful of people that were really kind of controlling the content that was on this. And the weird thing was was they actually made like the high school the whole high school had to watch it, watch our show like oh, once man. a week. They pause it <laughs> and whatever we put, we had like full editorial power to put uh-huh. whatever we wanted on there. Um, but anyways, that led to my My freshman year at the, when I was at school here at OU, um, I worked at my high school and I did that for, um, on and off for, uh, you know, two, two years, basically. So we have
0: experienced similar bad judgment. Yeah,
1: that's right. (laughs) Where I came in and and I was like, you know, um, I was like, uh, who's the, who's the guy from Saved by the Bell who stuck around and, and, uh, and worked at the school afterwards. I was him, uh. On, I just always Steph. got Welcome
0: Back, Cotter. That was the yeah. right which was the older yeah. generation of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so well, there, I had no idea that we had such kind of like similar circles yeah. quite a few years apart. But, but,
1: but similarly, I mean, I've, I've always had a passion for particularly the web and for blogging and the ability for anyone to just connect as a node on a network. And that's what's really exciting. I mean, the same, the same technology that powers blogs, the, the RSS feed, is the same thing that powers podcast. And that kind of blows my mind mm-hmm. that a very, very simple, I mean, literally really simple syndication technology is sort of what's powering this. I think,
0: yeah, for me, it's also the idea that, um, you know, a lot of our experience with media is very top-down, and it's very, you know, them talking to lots of us. And there are just occasionally these moments or these media forms that basically say, no, we're not doing that, and approaching it all differently. So, um, So that you have, essentially, you get this kind of like, uh, raw participation from people—it's kind of one of the beautiful things about YouTube. In a lot of ways, is there's all of this material that's on there that's just really coming from people who are spontaneously understanding, you know, in a fairly limited way what the technology can do, and then using it for to do amazing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it's, it's you know, the it's democratizing. It gives people the opportunity to be the producers as well as the consumers. And that's a really big deal because you just start looking at the whole world differently. You know, you don't sort of think, oh, they get to talk, everybody listens to them, and I'm nobody. But you start, like, being able to participate in it. Mm-hmm. So this is also a subtle way of suggesting to anyone who might be listening to this, you know, take a chance and, you know, because the, the technology needed to start doing a podcast on something that you might be very passionate about is really inexpensive and close to you and you know it's just it's it, the more people who are there the you know sort of like the more good stuff there's going to be just as a percentage
1: yes so. and i have um, written, I haven't published it yet, but I will make sure to link to it in the show notes uh, when it is published. I've, I've written a technical blog post. I didn't want to talk about the technicalities of putting together a podcast too much. I mean, I'm sure there's there's plenty out there, um, but it's not really interesting to hear like the nerding, you know, like a oh, here's the 64 channel <laughs> mixing board we use, you know, and all that kind of stuff too. Um, and but what I try hey, to, is to that, do... uh, is that a Sennheiser MD four twenty one you're talking
0: on. I think it's good because it really <laughs> emphasizes your lower register. Oh, that's good. Kind of,
1: Nice. But, but I have, I, I tried to write the blog post and a like, here's sort of the basics, what you need. Here's the, the full extent of what goes into producing a media in the end of the world podcast, which actually overhead of time after actually writing it out, it's like, it's a 2,500 word blog post that I've written out now. And it's like, wow, like there are a lot of steps that I take. Um, not all of which are necessary by any means. We've got a lot of resources at OU that you would, you know, that you don't you don't need to have sort of in the middle. But I, I'm really happy with the workflow that we that I have for sort of putting this podcast out there, um, and it's been very clever of, of which ways that I've I've tried to do it to uh, very DIY and spend as little money as possible. Yeah, uh, I so. think. Uh,
0: yeah, I would add and I, if I've mentioned this before, Adam. Just pretend that I haven't mentioned this before, and I'm not forgetting I did, but. Uh, when I went to the Broadcast Education Association Conference, there was a panel on podcasts. And uh, a lot of it was really kind of driven by kind of commercial initiatives because for a lot of people who might get involved in it, they might see a commercial output as being part of it. But it was really what was interesting to hear people sitting around talking about it is there's just this like passion for yeah. the content um, and that, you know, that it's just widely accessible. It's just such a it's a new form. It's still I mean, we when people use the term new media. they're talking about stuff that's now 60 years old, but this really is new. This is still really something that's that's kind of happening on the edge.
1: Well, and I wanted to talk about that, too, because you never we we never got into this with a hey, let's let's do a podcast in which we can then monetize. Like this has been an experiment for ourselves more Mm -hmm. than anything else. Right. Like this is this is our learning lab and and. And somehow we've tricked whoever, whoever is on the other end of this <laughs> into kind of hearing our experiment uh-huh. unfold out loud.
0: Yeah. Well, I think there's, you know, we we are, I have to say that we are, uh, given the whole range of possibilities, we do have resources here. We have the technological resources to do it. Um, we've had access to some wonderful people who've come through the university who are willing to talk to us or people who are willing to talk to us uh, online who have really interesting things to say about a very complex environment that we're all involved in now. So, and I don't ever want to take that for granted. I mean, it's it's definitely being in a position of privilege to be able to do this and yeah, there's no, um, I don't think there was ever any anticipation of a direct reward on, on either of our parts, but just the idea that this would be something that would, I think, be part of a, an important conversation that we should be having um, as, you know, again, as many participants as possible, talking about how all the stuff that's going on around us in the media has an effect on on our democracy, on our lives, on our tastes, on how we interact with each other, all that sort of thing.
1: So I, I asked you a couple days ago to be thinking about sort of what have what have your major takeaways been from doing the podcast so far. So we are in I don't know what what no, this might be number twenty three. I should say other numbers and then edit those out. This is episode twenty two. I hope it's a prime number. This is episode twenty four. <laughs> I don't know. Somewhere around there. Uh, I think it's twenty yeah ish twenty <laughs> t- t- lower twenties ish. Um, Which you know? was by
0: the way, that, can I just mention that was a big deal at the at the panel? Was oh, they really? said it's not it's not the first or the second or the third episode that's the, the hard one the hard one is the fourth the fifth the oh, it's yeah. sort of like after you've done it a couple of times and you realize kind of what a pain it is to do right and and then kind of like oh i don't know i don't know and i remember going through at one point as we've been doing this it's like god schedules get complicated yeah. and everything and it's like where are we going to fit this in and but the, actually they're saying that thing was like well i'm going to get to podcast five and six and seven so yeah and and but then then it hits another point on the other side where it's like ah I see how we can do this and then it just becomes a, a pattern thing yeah. so yeah and so I think f- you know I think worthwhile I mean I've definitely felt like it's worthwhile so that's I'd say my biggest takeaway is that I haven't felt like a single moment of this was was it all uh, not worth the investment and the you know for doing the experiment
1: yeah totally I feel um, it, to to the point that was being made at that panel, I feel like um, it's kind of like dating. You can you know with certain people, maybe by the third date, like you just feel like you don't have any stories. Not that you have no stories, you you can tell. It's like you just don't want to tell. Like you're 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 out, right? <laughs> and that hasn't happened. I, I feel like the yeah. dating's still going well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and we benefit from it's kind of like the slightly one of the things that I like about the what the way we've decided to do that is do this is to remain in kind of that jaundiced territory. That's kind of a little skeptical of the whole media environment, anyway. Sure. In addition to what people are doing with it, because it it's just it's kind of a lot more. I mean, it's easy to be like incredibly cynical and say everything's awful, but to sort of be like on the edge of hope, <laughs> right? Which is kind of how we have structured this. It's sort of like our survival, the fact that the culture survived and all that. That was kind of where the metaphor of media and the end of the world became kind of a driving thing. Is it's like when you're still, you know, you're not actually at the end yet. You're you're kind of facing it. So there's like hope, you know,
1: yeah. which is actually one of those fun accidents. I should I should also say I know nothing about dating. Like, that's a bad analogy. to make. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't been on a date in a long time. Um, but uh, so the, the the title itself. What it's what, what you've oh, gotten back me, into me, it through Facebook, <laughs> right? I mean, you're going <laughs> to. So uh, the original title for the podcast was not "Media and the End of the World." The original title for the podcast was "The End of Media," right? And then what we actually found out was there was some guy who had a podcast called "The End of Media" who has mm-hmm. since abandoned it or whatever, you know, over over time, um, and that domain wasn't available uh, for us to purchase. Yada yada, yada, yada yada We ended up going with "Media and the End of the World," and I actually think that was a, a, a really brilliant accident to happen because. We've opened nearly every single podcast with some bad joke about the end of the world still not being here. <laughs> yeah, and so right. It's been a great way to kind of get going. And we've leaned into that, the, the fun that you can have with that sort of analogy, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, no. really, it's really driven sort of the character of the, of the show itself. Right, right. It's sort of like thinking
0: about, you know, that, that you're uh, – well, I don't know if you saw this on – did you watch John Oliver's show on Sunday? Oh, no. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin it for you. So if you haven't watched it and you don't want to know the end – Don't listen to the next two minutes. John Oliver basically – okay, so I'm going to ruin the joke. Go back and look at the video of the last five minutes of the show. Basically, he had a bunch of stuff he bought from Russell Crowe's divorce sale. And he was going to donate it to one of the bl- last blockbusters in America, which happened to be in Alaska. Alaska yeah, I right. read about that. Okay, so he donates the stuff to the to the store in Alaska and everything, and then Russell Crowe, made, hearing about all this, made this financial donation that ended up being used f- in Australia because it actually in Australia because. Russell Crowe said that John Oliver was very nice to the people of Australia, so he decided to make a donation. He makes a donation to the Irwin family, right? Um, Steve Irwin's remaining uh-huh. family, and they open up a Koala Chlamydia Ward. And they, this is like, this is a, and so they show that there's a plaque on the wall that says the John Oliver Koala Chlamydia Award to treat koalas with chlamydia. Now, you know, as John Oliver says on the show, I have a million questions now, right? Um, but but the thing, the reason I mention all this is because that after that happens, he says, I remember when we started doing the show, I wrote down one thing I wanted to do. <laughs> he takes out this red envelope and pulls out this piece of paper and it says Koala Chlamydia Award. <laughs> so he goes, that's it. The show is done. Done, <laughs> um, uh, and he swears a few times, and they start taking the set down, and the show ends, and he just says, "We're done." There you go, and and so and and so I like, I'm like, oh, no, he can't go away. This can't be the end of John Oliver's show. So I immediately went to Reddit, which I don't know where you go when you panic about stuff. But I go to Reddit. <laughs> that that's really that's bad too. Because you shouldn't go to Reddit if you're panicking. You should have a better better response than that. But I figured that's where people would respond right away. And there were several people who already put up, is he kidding? Is this over? And then eventually there was nothing that night, but then the next morning somebody posted, look, HBO's renewed this till twenty twenty. The show's sure. not going away. But but for just that again, it was sort of like the Gorilla Channel thing, for just that moment. Yeah. I kind of bought into the frame, and the idea that, that something that you didn't think was going to end was suddenly just not going to be there anymore. That's a fantastic
1: yeah. season finale. That's what we need to do. This needs to end in like some kind of fight or something where you storm out and you're like, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. I, I I've refuse. I've had it with you
0: and your bad advice.
1: <laughs> I can't believe you're telling people that and expecting them to like you on the other end. Holy cat. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what What else? There were, uh, We've had a lot of people come through here that have been really fun guests. That's been one of the most rewarding pieces, right, is we can use this almost as an excuse to talk Mm -hmm. to people Uh, who who did you learn the
0: most from do you think
1: Hmm. that's a really good question um i i have to say I, i really enjoyed our conversation with mark singer yes even though we had heard him speak a couple times prior to that um but there was like a specific moment uh and and you won't know this listening to the podcast because I did this kind of podcast <laughs> trick. But what happened was, was Mark Singer, he, he got really warmed up about 45 minutes into us recording. Like we finally got him really going. And so what I ended up doing was I actually ended up, um, here's the inside baseball part, is I, I actually, this is the only, the only episode that we've done, where I've actually rearranged how the conversation took uh, place, uh-huh. and I actually took where he tells this really great joke almost towards the end of the podcast. I actually put that towards the beginning, so I wanted it to be like a good hook into into the episode itself. So that one is slightly out of order. It's the only one of all the podcasts which uh-huh. I which I reordered. But he just he he finally gotten warmed up, and I wish we would have had you know another half hour with him and and maybe like a you know a glass of scotch or something like that. I, <laughs> we got some. We could have got some. <laughs> Fantastic stories out of him and he wasn't he was more reserved for our podcast than he was talking to uh, smaller groups that were classes themselves but I I really really enjoyed um, that specific episode just to Mm -hmm. pick his brain about um, I mean obviously he's got some crazy stories about uh, who he's written about but just the writing process itself
0: yeah
1: yeah well
0: um, I mean a couple things that really kind of um, (coughs) Mike Caulfield was one because of his way of trying to think about approaches that are really just a 30-second, you know, how, how, basically how to not get buffaloed by misinformation and with simple 30-second exercises. And his whole approach to it was just so uh, inviting. And useful, I think, and I've actually ended up talking about that in classes a couple of times. Of, you know, and it's all stuff that seems kind of obvious, but the way he presented it was kind of in a very nicely structured way.
1: Yeah, I think we should have Mike back. I think Mike wants to come back. And oh I th- yeah, I think yeah. we should. He's he'll be on our our gets for season two. Yeah, I think so. And the stuff on digital redlining
0: again. Oh, I forgot that yeah. Chris Gilliard was here too. And that was yeah, and that again was sort of like a because we're all faced with this hot. How do you link the material world that you live in with the 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 digital world or the imaginary or however you want to think about what's going on. And it was like this literal interface of how racism can implant itself both in the material world and in the digital world and in ways that you just until you like actually ask the question go oh that couldn't happen it's like yeah it does you know it's really there so i found that to be very enlightening too and you know of course this makes me all feel like i can learn new things and put them into the you know put them into the the way the world looks yeah
1: if you were to have a hope for what you want to see in future episodes that we haven't been able to do yet what would
0: that be? I would like us, well, first of all, I'd love for us to get a musician to do a couple of live things and then talk about what they do.
1: Oh, that'd be awesome. I think that would be- I think make that happen.
0: A, a long time, this is another, I'm going to tell a really short history story. There was a, a radio show that I did when I was in college at WNUR in Evanston, Illinois, with uh, a good friend named Jonathan Gruper, who now works for National Geographic making documentaries. Uh, and he's a he's a lunatic and he's hilarious. And we did this show called Shut Up and Listen. And the premise of Shut Up and Listen was it was an improvisational, dramatic, um, audience participation live radio show, and and it went through. We did probably you know fifteen twenty. Um, shows. And it went through all these permutations. We were just trying to figure out how to make it work, you know. So we would come up with, uh, you know, a story premise that would give audience obvious ways they could participate on the phone and be characters. There was one phase, and this was what why I was thinking about the music stuff, where we actually brought in a piano and a guy who was able to like improvise along with the improvisational radio show. So, you know, uh, we had a character in one episode whose name was Carmen. And every time that that name would come up, he'd start playing Bizet's Carmen on the piano. <laughs> so, That's awesome. Yeah, so anyway, but live music like the Tiny Desk Concerts that NPR does, uh, I mean, I think it's, it's it can be really uh, amazing. So I'd like to see us do some stuff. How about you? Um,
1: you- I... I feel like we need some bits. That's 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 what I'm going to try to work in. It's like regular bits that we do or like force like the guest to say like some funny catchphrase at the end of every podcast. Like I think I think that's the stuff that I'm going to be working on, you know. I just I want to I, I want to bring more continuity. You want stick. Oh, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you want borscht Belt humor. Yeah, yeah. to take a central role in This is here. this is I am not no highbrow Uh, NPR. (laughs) I mean, I like NPR, don't get me wrong, but um, I also uh, will laugh at fart jokes occasionally.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the inner 14-year-old must be fed. (laughs) It just must be fed. That has to happen. So, yeah, I think that's a good idea. And bits and shtick are really good. We actually, what was it? We did some shtick with one of our characters. Oh, gosh, I can't. I'm not going to remember what it is now, but it was something it was about asking a question to kind of play along. And I think it had to do with the the media at the end of the world yeah. joke that's come up over and over again.
1: I uh, I mean, I, I've listened to several podcasts where they have like a standard set of questions. They ask every guest that's coming in. Uh-huh. Um, Almost always, it has to do with like recommend, you know, what, what's a recent book that you've read um, that you would pass on to someone. I've seen Tim Ferriss do this. I've seen Ezra Klein do that. I've uh-huh. seen uh, there's a, a podcast I listen to called The Mind Muscle Project. You know, it's, it's like a standard question that, um, that almost everyone has in their list of standard questions for whatever reason. And so maybe that's what I'll do is I'll write like the the five questions that I always want to ask people as they come through. Oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah. The other, the, the bit that
0: I like also, and I don't know if we'd be able to work this in, it's something Chris Matthews does. And Chris Matthews does occasionally make me want to throw fresh fruit at the TV because, (laughs) well, because I, and this is just an opinion, but I think he tends to talk over women guests a Mm. lot. And it really, you know, again, you can look for yourself and if you don't see it, then call me a lunatic, but I think I see he just he kind of talks over people all the time. I anyway, know, but he does do one bit toward the end of his show where it's a "Tell me something new, tell me something I don't know, tell me something yeah. I don't know" is what it is, um, and it puts the his guests who are usually journalists in the position of you know having to essentially pull a story out that they think is important and worth noting, but that hasn't got a lot of coverage. And I like that just because it's new and interesting stuff. Mm. So. Like, I, that, that's a good bit too now we could I'm, steal now I'm like hour.
1: running through my head of of tell me something that you don't know that right. i can tell you so what yeah so tell me something i don't know <gasps> something that's not getting oh well here's a, here's a shout out that i will make um <clears throat> so uh do you remember so my my former my college roommate was baxter holmes do you remember baxter, oh, I remember baxter. Okay. so baxter uh, now writes for espn uh-huh he uh he does feature writing he he was a beat reporter for uh the lakers uh prior to what he's doing now he's now doing feature writing um he had a piece that came out, I can't remember when it came out, maybe six months ago, uh, about peanut butter and jelly and the phenomenon uh, that of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches <laughs> in NBA locker rooms, okay? And he wrote, I mean, I can't remember how long this piece was, like somewhere between like four and 5,000 words probably on just the different types of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that you find and, and how some teams like it toasted and some have white bread and some of them you know have really artisanal peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Anyways, I set this all up to say that. This last week, Baxter won a James Beard Foundation Award oh for his God. writing, which <laughs> I didn't realize that he could That's win fantastic. a writing award from a from a food f- foundation. But he is now a James Beard Award winning writer. Hey, let's get him as a guest in our next I season. I
0: think he would. I absolutely know he would. Yeah. He would, yeah. He owes me. Well, not really, but uh, I can I can tell him <laughs> he, that, and he'll he feel went, like it. He
1: went. Uh, he so went. He, to
0: Boston first, right after he left uh, the he, University of Oklahoma.
1: Uh, he actually went to the L.A. Times. Oh, okay. Uh, well, well, he, uh, yeah, he. I mean, he did a lot of stints. So, while in college, he interned with Salt Lake City Tribune and the Boston Globe. Uh, but then, right out of college, he went to L.A. Times. Then he went back to the Boston Globe, and then he came back to the. I can't remember if he came back to the other times or just went straight to ESPN, but but has been in the LA area since. But I was going to say that he went on your British media studies yes, trip, yeah. in summer yeah, so of two thousand. Yeah, there you go. You've, <laughs> you've taken him to the to the UK. Yeah, yeah. That's
0: it, it's interesting how uh, different sometimes the the results of people that you get to know as they're coming through here. I mean, one of the reasons why I like being in a university environment is the energy that that comes with, you know, sort of like a constant turnover of new people and the ideas and experiences that they bring in. Um, And I just, you know, I mean, I think that's exciting when it turns into something on the other end. Um, I don't know if you knew Mark Potts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, who ended up winning a Pulitzer because he threw in with the coverage of the, I think it was the San Bernardino shootings that he was involved in the coverage of. Um, I
1: didn't really, I knew that his wife... Haley Branson Potts led one
0: of Pulitzer, too. Well, they were, yeah, because they were were involved in the same. Wow. Yeah, because they were, I mean, they basically had to get everybody out to cover the story, as I recall. That's incredible. The amazing thing is that Mark Potts is responsible for what I think is one of the funniest pieces of video in the world. Which is um, which is a short film that he made um, while he was a student here at OU. He did a lot of uh, comedy stuff because um, that's what what I thought he was going to do. In fact, I was uh, he did, his master's project was a, was a, a comedy project, but he did a short film. I'm just checking to make sure it actually still exists before I say something about it. Yeah, so if you basically go to YouTube and look, it's on Funny or Die, and it's it's a theatrical trailer for a film called Kane. And so it's actually a an action comedy satire of Citizen Kane, as if Citizen Citizen Kane was an action hero who was going to kill the internet. <laughs> wow! And it's and it's it's full of all of these cliches, and it's just hilarious. Yeah. It's just hilarious. It's really really funny. So yeah. so what you would look at is you can go to Funny or Die, um, or just type in uh, Kane. It's Kane theatrical trailer, K-A-N-E, and then you can find. We'll put a link to it on our on our show list. Yeah,
1: I. Oh gosh, I'm gonna start sounding like an old man really quickly, but like it just harkening back to, um, just sort of what, comedy videos used to be even 10 years ago. I feel like we're missing all the good comedy because now it's happened privately. You know, it's happening in some kind of network, like an Instagram story or something like that in which you, you don't really get to see as much in a, in a public forum as you you may be used to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of like the meme world when you find out about it. And then you want to ask people,
0: how long has this been a thing? And they're like, Oh,
1: two years. And
0: then you feel like a total job. Like I never saw the angry kid. And then I was like, this is a thing. Yeah, they're like, oh yeah, it's been everywhere.
1: Yeah, I, I had that moment a couple of weeks ago um, about the uh, the yodelling Walmart kid. Uh-huh. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Okay, so yeah, I mean, by the time that I had figured out who he was or that he existed, he'd already blown up. You know, it was he, he, he? no longer was a meme. He'd already like received a scholarship from Ellen and stuff like that. You know, um, we, which is basically where memes all become full circle, right? Is like the cute kid who ends up in a video inevitably gets a check from Ellen,
0: right? That's where that,
1: that's where that's where the, the road ends. Yeah, it's like it's 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 a good
0: place to for for the end of the road. Um, the, yeah, the uh, the other thing I was going – that I wanted to make sure that we mentioned, just because it totally blew me away, was a new piece of video. And it's a piece of video by uh, – depending on who you ask, Childish Gambino. Yeah. Um, On a piece called uh, This is America.
1: Yes, talk to me about it.
0: This is America is – one of the, it is, it, there's this experience sometimes when somebody does something that's kind of hilariously entertaining and kind of tragic at the same time, and you're stuck between those two reactions, you don't quite know what to do, so it's almost like you're being forced into kind of like cynical laughter, you know, like the like laughing in the face of the void or something like that, because he does this performance in it that juxtaposes a uh, minstrel show, dancing um you know his own physicality and he's like a really remarkable dancer um but the dancing he's doing is sort of like between dancing like you're expecting uh an African-American to dance dancing as sincerely expressions and dancing as reflecting certain kinds of like traditional dance moves and stuff like that and then these like incredible outbursts of violence and surrounding them is are these facial expressions it's almost like watching him not, in control of how to react to things like it's funny, it's sad, it's scary, it makes you angry, all kind of at the same time. And it's just this really interesting snapshot. Um, And it's also, I haven't actually sat down to map out how it's shot because the shooting of it it's a, it's a lot of longer shots too. Um, and it's just it's just incredible. So it's definitely worth spending a uh, watching through it a couple of times it can be found pretty easily um, just to you know sort of like gauge your own reaction to it.
1: Yeah. So, um, so I haven't seen it. I have to admit that now, but there, but it does remind me of something I want to talk about. So we've talked about mad men on this podcast as well. Uh, one other thing I'm thinking about is like the, the Michelle Wolf, uh, White House press corps speech. But anyways, the, the thing I was thinking about is for me, I feel like the best the best stories are the ones that make you very conflicted about how to feel, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like, because they just hit you from every angle that like you don't know whether to be happy or sad or angry or to retreat or to push forward. Um, I don't know what it is about that, that specific, that liminal space that you can sit in as a consumer of something and just like really not know how to react to something, which I think speaks a lot right into, in, in a world in which, um, Uh, we, we oftentimes are put in positions where we feel like the, the objective is to have an answer very quickly at our fingertips. Right. And know Mm -hmm. where we stand on specific issues, but sitting in a space in which you don't know exactly how to react to something.
0: Yeah. Or finding yourself like, you know, again, being in the digital environment in very conflicting reactions. Yeah. Because I mean, one of the nice things about the digital space is you can see how other people are dealing with it. So, you know, for this Childish Gambino video, Yesterday, I was seeing things where people were complaining because there are other people who are saying he's a genius, right? He's a polymath genius. He does all this stuff so well. And then, you know, there's another line that's going on. uh, I think it was on Twitter where people were saying, why is it that only straight black men get to be geniuses? And it was really this kind of like – and it was a – it's an appropriate criticism um, in, in the sense of that uh, um, there should be definitely much more attention and credit for genius work being given to a much more diverse population of people, of course. But but it was just kind of a strange thing because I didn't really quite know how to react to that. Yeah. Um, so And it was such a quick turnaround from yeah. the video's appearance after his hosting Saturday Night Live. So.
1: I saw, I saw something similar. I mean I feel like this happens often where – Events critical to pop culture get criticism from every single possible angle almost immediately, right? Like every hot take possible just kind of comes out almost for the sheer fact that people feel like it's, you know, that angle hasn't been written about before. So, what I saw this week was um, the Met Gala was. Uh, Sunday, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and same thing. It was like every specific reaction to like the, you know, the, the headwear in which Rihanna was wearing and whether she could or not, like, you know, about every single person and every single p- article of clothing they were wearing, mm-hmm. um, was attacked from every angle. And the, I, I'm always interested in like, is the best route to read everything or read nothing, or read the things <laughs> that you agree with, um, you know, because you can you can pick and choose every you know every every piece yeah. that you want. You can take that however you'd like. Well, I would certainly never. I mean, never want to
0: bubble myself. I mean, I think it's really important to read both things you, that you really strongly disagree with, and but also even more importantly, things you just don't know what to do with, because you know, particularly if they bug you and you have to think about them mm-hmm. for a while, and you don't. You know, we always feel compelled to make a decision about it, to like, you know, again, this is something I think I probably talked about a million years ago on one of the podcasts, you feel compelled to like or not like, you feel compelled to agree or disagree, and it's really okay, as Rushkoff, Douglas Rushkoff has argued before, you don't have to do that, you can just go, I don't know yet, I'm still thinking about it, and that can often be a really good way to react to things as you kind of try to see how it fits in with how else you think about things, and how else the, you know, how else you're allowing input from the media environment to... You know' to kind of inform how you 're thinking about it
1: yeah so so this is something that I've struggled with in the past um oftentimes i'll leave a movie and i 'll have that feeling right of like i don't know exactly where I fall and my thoughts about this movie so far, but then i'll start to read reviews, and through reviews, I will begin to form my opinion but in that sense I'm informing my opinion based off of how other people have have shaped my opinion rather than just my pure experience of the movie itself right. and I felt really conflicted about the, that is like am I actually forming opinion about a piece of media or am I, am I forming opinion around the criticism that exists around that yeah. specific piece of media?
0: Well there's I mean the thing is to me is that there's no pure reaction and probably if you thought about music it'd be a little bit more but it's like you know all of the media experiences we have are so heavily informed by all of the other media experiences that are proximal to it or resemble it or whatever else and you know and at some point it becomes kind of unexplainable like why you know I uh, put put together a playlist of, of songs you really really like a lot and then kind of listen to them and ask the question what do these things have in common and it's just kind of interesting because it's a it's complicated to try to figure out those relationships <clears throat> You know, between, yeah. the, between the things that are, you know, obviously the same on the surface because of a particular way that they sound. And then other things that are just like particular sequences of chord changes or a tone or, a you know, kind of an emotional sense. And you go, wow, I'm like really not a mentally healthy person <laughs> because I find this really kind of depressing mode really attractive, you know. So, uh, but I don't know, is it the same for music with you? Like you were saying with film that, you, that sometimes you're... More in it, or is it easier for you to decide? I feel
1: like there are often it's usually actually the opposite. So oftentimes I will go into an album or a record um, more open to the idea of it simply based off of what I'm already reading about it. Uh-huh. So movies it seems to be opposite, um, uh, where whereas I will I will consume the media and then the criticism. Whereas music it's often like oh you know I just we just or the new this new album just dropped and it's. Everything Pitchfork has ever wanted anything to be, it must be incredible. Uh, and then I will, I will go, I will come in with very open ears. Yeah. So, which do you prefer, records or albums? I'm just kind of, no, you just you differentiate between
0: the two. And of course, I'm thinking CDs. And you know, I I often make this stupid joke in my classes. If you remember, records round, twelve inches, hole in the middle, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody knows, but
1: I I often will call things records, but really, I'm actually referring to an album. You know, I'm, I'm refer- referring to the the idea of a, of a, of a full length piece of music, not a physical piece of media. Um, but, but I, I like to call, I like the word record. You know, like, like I'll, I'll use those interchangeable. Yeah, yeah record seems
0: like a regular thing. Here's yeah. a record.
1: Right. Oh, thank you.
0: Yeah. I like records. This, yeah. is, this is really cool. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, okay, so last thing I wanted to, to, to get to before we end this. So it's the end of the, the school year. Are you a sentimental person? I am, but I don't like to talk about it. Oh, perfect. This is great. <laughs> I found it. Okay. So so what, what I'll t- is...
0: I'll t- let me tell you why I'm saying that. Two days ago... Don't laugh. Two days ago, um, I was listening to a song um, um, that um, – it's called The King of Rome, and it's about – the silliest thing, it's about a pigeon – in nineteen eleven. This, this is it's by this English folk. It's by this these women who do this this uh, singing against an orchestra. It is an incredibly beautiful piece of music. And the lyrics are kind of this, you know, kind of nice story about this guy who's, you know, his he has a racing pigeon. He's just a regular working class guy in Derby. And so he sends his pigeon out. There's a big storm, and all the pigeons are blown off. and so they assume they're all dead. And then at the end, somebody runs up and says, "Hey, the king of Rome is home, his pigeon." got mm. back and and it's so it's just kind of this you know kind of and the music is so beautiful i'm like crying in the car <laughs> so
1: anyway so that's my <laughs> that that is it's not where i was expecting you to go but it doesn't surprise okay, me one bit. stop all right <laughs> no, 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 no 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 um do you uh so as we have students leave now right they uh-huh. they graduate or they leave us um we got graduation coming up do you get into those events do you like that
0: I, yes and no. Yeah. I mean, because there is, uh, it's sort of like such a nice way to kind of put a punctuation mark. Um, At the same time, it's like, it all feels like phoniness, right? It all feels like everybody is dressed weird and behaving strangely and, you know, all of that. How do you feel about those?
1: Um, I love watching families gather around our students like like that's just like like watching um you'll have it like every 15 minutes a ridiculously large amount of family members like all stand up and cheer for someone that that, that to me is like very very powerful Uh um you know the uh it's 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 a, it's a it's a little bit too much for me but um, I enjoy like I enjoy it as a a marker in time for someone to kind of be celebrated mm-hmm. uh, itself but yeah it's a it's a little funny to go through the steps as much as we, we experience it quite often uh, twice a year yeah you know? I mean
0: yeah as a, as a teacher it's always I mean part of the humorous part is when somebody who you thought maybe wasn't gonna make it <laughs> <laughs> actually makes it and you see him go across the stage yeah. and the family screams and and all I keep thinking is they know Yeah, they knew this might not have happened.
1: And you're looking and you're shaking that student's hand and you both have that thought like you're both thinking, I can't believe you made it. And they're like, yes, I can't believe it either. This is
0: unbelievable. Yeah, no. And it's I mean, I think it's it's just a you know, it's an amazing thing. It's you know, it's not. Finishing it at any university is not an easy thing, and it's – it's what's interesting about where we do it in our culture is it happens at a time of incredible emotional turmoil. Yeah. Right? I mean, people aren't settled about who or what they are, and so that they can, like, keep it together <laughs> for long enough to actually get through, and then, you know – and then, like you were talking about Baxter, seeing these people become things at the other end. It's just amazing. Yeah.
1: No, I I hear um, more often than I'd like to. It's like, man, like, I'm really surprised with where you are in your life, Adam. Because like I knew you as a student, and um, I, mean, I was kind this of is, like, expecting you to get, be behind like, the window selling me cigarettes at the you. gas
0: station. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's often it. But no, I mean, like for me personally, when I graduated, um, I wasn't I wasn't the uh, my, my mom had got a bachelor's, but she had done it in sort of a non-traditional fashion in which she had gotten associates and then later did like a night, you know, a night school when we were like in in high school to get her bachelor's. But I was sort of the first person on both sides of my family to really do a traditional four-year school uh, degree program. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, ever. And I am still the, the only person in, in my family uh, to have an advanced degree, to, have, to hold my master's as well. Um, so th- like, you know for it, it is it's fun to watch those you know i uh i was at a, a a school over spring break i was at uh CSU Channel Islands and uh they have a much higher probably first uh first generation population than we do at the university and i their president was sort of opening up this this uh this this point of the afternoon and she had this quote i'll never forget it i'm sure it's not original but i love it so much she said um uh, we are not uh, we're not just changing lives; we're changing family trees. Uh-huh. And I want to be like, yeah, yes, like <laughs> I, that's it. You go, girl. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm bought in. You know. Uh-huh. Uh, you had you had me at Trees, you know. Um, but that is really, really fun to yeah, watch.
0: Yeah, no, no. I mean, the first, like you, I mean, first-generation students are getting through our, you know, that's that's the promise of the system. That's why I'd never want to see it be inaccessible for people. Um, and sometimes I worry about the accessibility of it for people who don't feel like they belong or don't really understand the purpose of it. And it's not, I mean, it's not about getting a job. It's not about being trained for a profession. It's about, you know, kind of getting opened up to the whole world and seeing what the possibilities are there. And universities are places where those that's kind of a crossroads of all those other things that are out there. And again, it's one of the reasons I love being in the environment is that it's 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 exciting because it's not predictable. It's, you know, it's it's simultaneously the most conservative institution in our culture and the bleeding edge of our mm. culture. And that the institution can maintain both of those is just kind of a remarkable thing.
1: Absolutely. Well, if you have joined us along this ride, that is media in the, in the world, wherever you jumped in, whether it was the beginning and you've been with us for the whole time, um, or you're just jumping in for the first time. Thank you to our listeners, um, who have, who, uh, just continue to come back for more. Absolutely yeah
0: and thank you for I should say thank you Adam, for all of your uh, technical support. Without you, this would be a bunch of unlistenable bits and pieces of audio. so yeah. thank you for no, no, taking the time. You're, uh,
1: you're welcome. it's been it's been a pleasure thanks for thanks for the invitation. I I, uh, I love nothing more than, than than sweetening our vocal levels you know <laughs> uh, once a week. All right, so with that, we will call an end to season one of media and the end of the world. Yes. Until next time. Thank you.